0: M-S-W <laughs> Media. Thanks to Feels for supporting Cleanup on Aisle 45. Feels is a better way to feel better. For 50% off your first order plus free shipping, go to F E A L S dot com slash cleanup. That's Feels.com slash cleanup. Um, <laughs>
1: The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich, and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as attorney general at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer.
0: So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hey everyone, welcome to Clean Up on Isle Forty Five. It's Wednesday, April thirteenth, and this is episode sixty five. A- Andrew, sixty five episodes. I'm your co-host Allison Gill. With me, as always, Andrew Torres. I can't believe we're at sixty five already.
1: Uh yeah. It it kind of feels like our job should be done by now, right? <laughs> Shouldn't we be
0: cleaned up really on Aisle Forty Five?
1: I would think it's a it's a big aisle and uh, there's a there's a big mess, so. <laughs> anyway, before we get started, let's uh, do what we always do in the uh, opening bits here and give a shout out to our new patrons. So a big heartfelt thanks to Murder Note, to William Patterson, and
0: Professor Pastafari. Ah, yes. Touched by his noodly appendage. Also, thank you to D. Enoch, Nathan DeRosier, and Dr. Rosenpenis. <laughs> Dr. Rosen Rosen. <laughs> exactly
1: outstanding fletch reference by the way also while you while we're in the little uh pre-show here uh if you as you listen to this i will be uh live at the uh, american atheist convention in atlanta uh from thursday through sunday and thursday night just like you and i did a bar trivia and i'm hosting a uh bar trivia night so yeah. uh yeah if if uh You are a clean up on our 45 listener and you want to poke your head in. Uh, It's at the uh, Renaissance Hotel in downtown Atlanta. And um, I would uh, always love meeting show listeners and, um, uh, you know, give us a a show up. Our uh, our event is Thursday night. And uh, that is bar trivia with the proceeds to go to charity, particular uh, charity that helps women secure reproductive rights uh, throughout the American Southeast so you know 100 percent of the uh, of the ticket price is being donated uh, in support of uh, of women's rights so uh, I'm very very happy to be doing that
0: yes excellent and atheist convention I will yeah. believe it when I see it Andrew
1: <laughs> <laughs> nice nice I do
0: nice. I do have faith that you'll be there
1: okay all right
0: uh so we've got a lot to talk about today we've got some court filings we've got some sussman motions (laughs) we've got uh, some dhs impersonators um. (laughs) that's the craziest story ever holy shit (laughs) i i've been texting back and forth with like frank figalusi and pete struck like every time some more news drops or i see a new filing and we're just like absolutely flabbergasted at what's going on although there was a hearing today we okay. might as well, let's start with this.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: So two, DA, two uh, guys, uh, Tahir Zeta and Ali, impersonating DHS officers and uh, DHI officers, and at one point impersonating an employee of the Department of Justice, which we just learned in another filing. And uh, they were uh, picked up, and in their, today they're having, they had a hearing for pretrial detention, and the judge, Judge Harvey, said right off the bat, I'm not making a ruling today. Okay. We'll talk today. We'll continue this tomorrow at 11. But Harvey gave the government uh, a, a pretty hard time, as 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 judges are wont to do, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when you have to make sure that you're giving the criminals their rights, you know, that, that you have the due process and all that good stuff. And so-
1: I'm, uh, I'm a fan of the due process. Yes,
0: <laughs> I, I enjoy the due process. But they were asking, like, no one's ever seen these guys with guns. They aren't supposed to have guns, but no one's seen them with guns. Um, And so it seemed not to go well for the government for pretrial uh, detention. The government is arguing th- these fo- guys are a danger to society, and the judge is all, what, do you think they're going to impersonate cops again if we put them under house arrest? And the, the, <laughs> and the, the AUSA is like, y- uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do. And uh, this guy, one of them is uh, domestic violence convictions, the other one assaulting his family convictions, They're like, and these guys had firearms. And then I guess S- there was a filing... Andrew, that that they had been tipped off to their arrest and had mailed some of potential evidence to one of the Secret Service agents, witness three, uh, but then they amended that filing and said it could they could have just been returning property, uh, and so the, the judge gave him a hard time about that too. Like get your get your story straight.
1: Yeah, I <laughs> so much to unpack here. I don't know what to make of any of
0: this, right? Like, so I, I, I
1: mean, I think we should kind of start with the, the, the top line accusations, right? Which is, um, that, 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 that these folks to and, and Ali were, were (laughs) working with question mark, the secret service, uh, impersonating DHI officers, um, that uh the, the 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 allegation in terms of the bribery allegation is that uh they sent members of the secret service the way they provided them with rent free apartments uh they gave them iPhones uh flat screen TV and uh you know other personal items uh surveillance system a drone Assault all that rifle. sort of stuff yeah well and then you, you know you mentioned uh that that firearms were recovered from these folks, but particularly the firearms that were recovered were and, and you know, neither of us are our gun folks. But uh, as I read the filing, a Sig Sauer 229 and a Glock 19. Um, so in addition to that, they they had, they had, uh, discovered surveillance equipments. Hard drive um, a, uh, a, a what is described in the filing as, quote, a machine to create and program personal identification verification cards and blank ID cards. All of that was summarized by the prosecutors as these guys were, quote, not merely playing dress up, end of quote. And, uh, you know, it goes on. I mean, this is that th- th- the not playing dress up is a, is a good line because this is precisely the kind of. You know, stuff that, uh, you know, we see right wing activists, you know, love to you know pretend like uh, they are they're going into uh, a combat zone. But um, but no, this stuff really crosses the line from the stuff that is for sale to suckers uh, versus stuff that is really restricted to law enforcement. So rifle scope, tactical gear, storage equipment, clothing and patches with police insignias handheld radios, a high-end drone, a gas mask, handcuffs, zip ties, breaching equipments, cleaning kits for firearms, ultraviolet flashlight, RFGS K-18, which is used to locate hidden cameras, microphones, RF transmitters, vehicle trackers, a computer server with two modules, an encrypted portable hard drive antennas, and a firearms holster mounted and hidden under a desk, all of which were seized pursuant to a search warrant. I so yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) what else do you say i mean they did have some also illegal high capacity magazines um and then there they had discovered there was some shipping labels and stuff after the uh, they were tipped off apparently about their arrest they had shipped uh, a couple of uh, cases gun cases with high capacity magazines and four expensive cigars uh to one of these secret service agents um, and, and that seemed to be that they were hiding evidence uh, and then came back and said, well, maybe not. Maybe they were just returning property. Uh, but regardless, this this whole thing, I don't know if the judge, after hearing this hearing, is going to remand them to pretrial uh, detention. Um, I, 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 I think I think
1: that read is correct. Right. Like, let's remember. Less than 30 percent of defendants charged with violent crimes are, uh, are are held, right, are are held without bail. Um, and so uh, that is, you know, you, you kind of think, oh, well, you know, that's just de rigueur, right? That's always the case. But but not more often than not, uh, criminal defendants charged with violent offenses uh, are released on some form of bail, Um the, the real complicating matter here is trying to piece together what, what the government's story is, right? Mm-hmm. Is, is the government in, in, in affidavits at that, that hearing on Monday, uh, the government said, you know, that, uh, four of its agents were, were duped, duped by what duped to how, I mean, this is, this is illustrative of the importance of, you know, understanding and being able to articulate, cleanly articulate your theory of the case from start to finish. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Although, you know, this is Matt Graves, <laughs> who who I love. I have a, yeah. I have a justice crush on Matt Graves yeah. and that he's willing to ask for pretrial detention and go out on that limb um, comforts me in other things he's mm-hmm. investigating uh, and I think that here this case is evolving and changing so rapidly that it's almost impossible to get a clean, clear filing in by the deadline for pretrial detention. Do you know what I mean? Like it's yeah, it's I... there's so <laughs> there's so much here <laughs> that they're like, here's what we have today. Oh, two hours later, wait, wait, we have two new things. You know, and and they're giving it all over. Yep, um, but this I think, I think where this might land is that these guys might be let out uh, in in custody of their parents. By the way, <laughs> um, with uh, ankle monitors, probably uh, that seems to be where where the judge is headed. Uh, GPS house arrest mm-hmm. uh, pending trial, but I think that that's my that might be what we're looking at.
1: I and and I giggled there because again, reminder. These folks are thirty-five and forty, respectively, right? This is this was apparently a well-orchestrated, long-running scheme. So it's just, you know, it's I, I it's funny to think somebody my age being like remanded to the custody of their parents, you know. Mm. Um But 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 no, I, 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 and, and to go to your point, my this is a very this well, I, I was going to say this kind of case, but I've never seen anything like this, right? But these kinds of cases in which the government is expected simultaneously to articulate a complete theory of the case, but also the government is the entity against whom the fraud was perpetrated, right? That really does wind up sort of at cross purposes, right? When you, when you don't know, it's really, really hard to then state with finality, the things that you do know.
0: Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so,
1: you know, and, and, uh, you know, our, our listeners will not have difficulty kind of piecing, you know, reading between the lines on this. This is as part of the larger narrative in connection with one six in connection with cleaning up aisle 45, right. This is, this is an illustration of how even in a situation where you have significant extrinsic evidence significant good facts on your side right i mean we we just detailed all of it right like we have the the hard drives we have the fact that these guys have uh, what you know appear to be restricted police fire we've got the vest that says police across it right like this is lots and lots of good evidence um having good evidence is sometimes not enough to really put together an airtight theory that gets you all the way, you know, from point A to point B to point C uh, while ticking all the boxes along the way. And, and that's an important thing to remember as we talk about other cases in which the government (laughs) may have been the victim of fraud.
0: Right. When we hear uh, repeatedly, just arrest them and figure it out later. This is, these are the problems that you run into. Yeah. Um, Now, you know, I think if additional evidence is uncovered with regards to the ties to Pakistan or Iran, if there are any, or evidence Mm -hmm. uh, with regards to if they hurt anyone uh, while they were doing this physically or otherwise, Uh, if they um, what was the nature of the gifts to the Secret Service? Were they were they doing some sort of infiltrating or bribing or were they just, you know, being LARPers? Um, I think, you know, once you have some sort of other concrete evidence like that, you may be able to get them put into pretrial detention. Uh, but so far, I think I think Graves here is just asking for the max based on what he has and yeah. seeing where seeing where the uh, where the cookie crumbles.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's right. And again, I, I want to be very clear with respect to, you know, it's it's. It is it is easy for us in the peanut gallery to comment, um, but uh, these I, you know this is this is why trying cases is hard. <laughs> mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Now, I personally think they should be in pretrial detention because they've got former assault and DV, and I, that's I have a personal thing with that. Um, but uh, having tried to get my own abusers put behind <sighs> bars for, <laughs> for the, I I know what what it takes, and it's not easy.
1: Yeah. And, 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 you know, you led off with the question that um, is a fair question to ask, right? Which is we live in a society, it is worth presenting this again, as we prepare to pivot to talk about the events of one six, we live in a society that no matter how much extrinsic evidence has been piled up before your trial believes in that the premise that that you are innocent until proven guilty. And uh, pre-trial detention uh, is has always been in tension with that with that premise. Right. You've seen states move away from uh, the cash bail system, which I think probably makes a lot of sense. But that, uh, then at some point you have to say, yeah, yeah, we are staking a judgment and depriving somebody of their liberty before they have been adjudicated guilty by a court. And we should rest, wrestle with those questions.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Oh yeah, and, definitely. And I
1: think that's right. So the two principles that are at stake when uh, the government asks for pretrial detention are number one, are you going to flee the country? <laughs> right. Are you going to flee the jurisdiction? Are you going to evade future attempts to bring you to justice? And number two, are you a danger to yourself, the community or others? And it's why you let off with the question we laughed at it but but it really is one the court is going to ask itself which is uh, okay maybe they were involved in this crazy four year, four year long plot to cozy up to the secret service and buy them apartments and hang out and you know you've got the, if you haven't seen the photo of of uh, of of the the defendants with uh, some blurred out secret agents hanging out drinking beers in the pool it's just um, well, take a look at that one, <laughs> but, uh, but right. Is that what, what they're not going to do that again. <laughs> so uh, right. it, yeah, it's a, t- it's a tough one. It's. And,
0: and we're reactive more than proactive yes, when absolutely. it comes to that kind of, uh, a situation, um, which I've also learned through <laughs> my own personal experience. Somebody else who's been in pretrial <sighs> detention, Andrew is Robert Thompson, former Virginia police officer who has now the second person, the second insurrectionist, to be found guilty on all charges by a jury. The other one is Guy Uh, Reffitt. So two for two uh, (laughs) in front of a jury. And uh, he was found guilty on all six counts, including, now some of the newspapers are saying obstructing Congress, but that's not what he was found guilty of. He was found guilty of obstructing an official proceeding. Right which is different. That's 1512C2. Yeah, yeah, I know you all know that. And not not 1505, which is <laughs> obstructing Congress because obstructing Congress thing gets you a five-year max, whereas obstructing an official proceeding gets you a 20-year max. It seems as though his lawyers in this case, the defense attorney was like, all right, look, he did the misdemeanors. He was there at the Capitol, but can you let him go on the felony stuff? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, us, You know, assault, uh, interfering with an officer, assault, you know, all that and obstructing an official proceeding. Ah, let the felonies go. And the jury said, nope, no, dude. And they deliberated for a day and a half and found him guilty on all six counts. I don't know when sentencing this just came down. Yep. So I don't know when his uh, sentencing hearing will be. But former police officer, we've seen this a lot with um, former military, former police officers, former federal officers. Being taking part in the insurrection. Um, Now, uh, bench trials don't have as good of a record (laughs) uh, as we know. We've had two bench trials, and I think they were both presided over by uh, Trevor McFadden, a uh, Trump appointee, and one was found guilty, and the other was found guilty on one count out of two, and the other one was acquitted of both counts. So we're batting 250 (laughs) on the bench trials and batting 1,000 on jury trials.
1: Yeah. And it is worth spending a few minutes on uh, Judge Trevor McFadden. And uh, in particular, uh, that the the complete acquittal, uh, this was of New Mexico engineer Matthew Martin, um, who was uh, brought up on on uh, two charges, um, (laughs) is described as the first January 6th defendant to testify in his own defense. And his testimony is, I I, I need to read this for purposes of discussing on the show, uh, that he thought the officers at the rotunda at 3 p.m. Now, mind you, this is after windows have been smashed. This is after uh, parts have been set on fire. This is after grenades have been tossed uh, by the Capitol Police, right? This is 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Uh Martin said, "Well, I th- I thought that um the officer waved me in. I thought I was allowed to come inside. Um windows are broken, alarms are going off, um and uh poop and everywhere." Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and Martin's argument was um that uh, uh I th- I thought I was being waved in. And Judge Mcfadden said, "Well, I don't think that that's true. I don't think you were being waved in, but quote, the way the officer briefly interrupted the flow of people and then stepped back to allow it to resume, right? You know, these are people reasonably in fear of their lives, but but so be it could have given Martin that impression. So quote, I do think the defendant reasonably believed that the officers allowed him into the Capitol. So this is not the first time that McFadden has bent over backwards to minimize the involvement and the activities of one, six insurrectionists. Um, and essentially, uh, as you, as you go through it and again, I I want to, to state this in stark contrast to other very, very conservative judges who have had no problems, right? Saying, uh, uh, however much we think that, you know, you have illustrated remorse here, that these are se- serious, harrowing crimes. And, you know, you need to face the responsibility for your role in, uh, an armed insurrection at our nation's capital. Um, Trevor McFadden has gone out of his way to characterize witnesses as, you know, being quiet, orderly, polite. He wasn't shouting. I, Are you kidding me? Um, It is just, and so, you know, it's a roll of the dice. Now, if you are a one six insurrectionist, um, better get hope you get assigned to, uh, to judge Trevor because um, it just seems to be soft on
0: treason. Yeah, no, I agree. And we've had some other developments uh, in, in one six that we should uh, briefly mention. First of all, Ali Alexander, Uh, has been subpoenaed and is apparently, quote unquote, cooperating with the Department of Justice. I don't know. I think cooperating is a strong word (laughs) for what he's doing. Uh, And then also, of course, now the select committee is deciding whether or not to make a criminal referral to the Justice Department. And, you know, last year I said, perhaps we're looking at a Department of Justice that is trying to politically insulate itself by waiting for a criminal referral from the January 6th committee or from the Department of Justice Inspector General. Mm. Now we know that the Department of Justice is investigating uh, the people in Trump's orbit, the top of the coup, uh, through these subpoenas that we've seen and heard about and also the 15 boxes of <laughs> of classified top secret documents that Trump stole from the White House. Yeah. Uh, and so now that makes a criminal referral unnecessary to the Department of Justice and some are arguing that the Department of Justice doesn't need the the 6 committee to tell them that there were crimes. Um, they, they know from Judge Carter's um, outline of the Eastman email decision. they know from uh, from just what is publicly available uh, to, to uh, you know in information and of course the, the January 6th committee can always, send evidence over to the Department of Justice without a criminal referral. So some now are arguing that it would actually politically taint a Department of Justice investigation by making a criminal referral from J6, giving the Republicans ammo, unnecessary ammo that they could use to to decry the DOJ investigation as politically motivated. What are your what are your thoughts on that? I think so <laughs> There really
1: are two tracks that that we're going down right now, right? The the first is, and these tracks are at cross purposes, right? So the purpose of the January sixth committee is to investigate and explain to the American public what happened on January sixth, and I have to say, um, I, I I remain. Very, very confident in the January 6th committee. I, I hope that they are nearing the conclusion, but I, I also get this just because of the passage of time, right? We're already 15 right. months out. Um, and the Republican Party is uh an institutional gaslighting machine, right? Mm. They they are engaged in the substantive rewriting of history. And the longer we go without having an official record of exactly everything that happened, the easier it is for people to say, "Oh, you know, there were misguided tourists, and it was an Antifa agitprop, you know, false flag operation." And right, and those claims are nonsense. But those claims are being made every single day in the right wingosphere, and. Our best evidence is still being compiled. Right. So on the one hand, you've got the job of the one six committee is to is to explain to gather evidence, use its subpoena powers uh, and and make a case to the American public about what happened and how we can stop it from happening Mm -hmm. again.
0: And maybe make recommendations for legislation to prevent it happening again.
1: Exactly right. That that was the, the second half of that explanation is. Uh, the the congressional function which is okay we detail the faults uh how do we fix how do we prevent something like this from right from like how do
0: we the make the electoral count act <laughs> do we put it in crayon with pictures so that people understand it because to me it's clear you know and in, in fact i think that some some right-wing <laughs> folks are actually using the fact that the the committee wants to shore up the electoral count act as proof that the electoral count act isn't clear and they thought that there were these legal challenges that could be made to it it's so unclear that y'all need to rewrite it and and that's just absolute garbage but regardless oh, can, the, can the, i go can
1: i go down that rabbit yeah of just course for a yeah of yeah. course i just so, my
0: point is the committee's purpose is not to indict anyone or prosecute anyone or criminally investigate anyone nor has it ever been
1: yeah. And that's you because uh, you're so good at this <laughs> instantly intuited where I was going with the second half of it. But 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 I want to talk about that argument because I have seen it raised online and it is just as as pernicious and bad faith and argument as we can we can possibly get. So one of the things and I want to make kind of a clear analogy to everyday tort law. Right. So One of the things that is just without question, uncontrovertible, is that subsequent remedial measures in a tort case are not admissible as evidence of the underlying (laughs) negligence. Right. And what that means is right. I go. Uh, you are running an ice cream shop. I visit your ice cream shop. I slip and fall on your floor. I hurt myself. I sue you for negligence. The next day you put up a sign that says, caution, floors may be slippery. Right. And you change your policy about how often you're mopping the floors. Right. It's an ice cream story. You know, people spill that sort of thing. I can't go to trial. It is well established since 13th century Saxony, since, you know, the the lords and ladies gathered at Kildare like that, that I can't introduce the evidence that you changed your policy as proof that the previous policy was a bad thing. Right. And the reason for that is 100 percent super duper clear basic principle of American law, English law, Anglo-Saxon law dating back a thousand years and that is because we want people to fix problems and we do (laughs) not want right if you if you could introduce that evidence then store owners would have to weigh what do i think the risk is that somebody's going to fall again for uh, and and i can't fix this problem until after i've dealt with this lawsuit that's insane right the same principle applies here that's a little bit of an analogy with respect to the Electoral Count Act, right? In other words, someone can say the Electoral Count Act is not a model of clarity in drafting. And and they would be correct, okay? The, the Electoral Count Act 3 U.S.C. 15 is incredibly confusing, right? Right? and and as you read it it is really really hard to know exactly what happens okay and i could read, part, right? You know, if more than one return or paper purporting to be a return from a state shall have been received by the President of the Senate, those votes and those only shall be counted which shall have been regularly given by the electors who were shown by the determined mentioned in Section 5 to have been appointed if the determination in said section provided for shall have been made by or by such successors or substitutes in case of a vacancy in the Board of Electors so ascertained, comma, no, that sentence still goes, as have been appointed to fill such vacancy, vacancy in the mode provided by the of the state semicolon but in case there shall arise the question of which two or more state authorities determining which electors have been appointed I, I, i'm not kidding this single sentence goes on for another seven lines okay um i'm, I'm stopping the reading because you probably have a million questions already like what well, what does it mean to be regularly given what does it mean you know to have been appointed to fill what such vacancy? what does pregnancy? the
0: semicolon mean right <laughs> all of
1: that you can read that and say Good Lord, you know, 19th century lawyers sucked at English. That is true. There is some ambiguity and we could write law review articles on, you know, what does it mean for for, uh, you know, a vote to have been regularly given by electors, right? We All of that is an ambiguity. What is not an ambiguity, right, as we covered on this show, you and I covered on our respective shows, is That there is any construction of the Electoral Count Act, which means Vice President Pence gets to just decide by himself if electoral votes count or not. Right. That argument is preposterous. That's the one uh, that that. Mike Pence's lawyer Greg Jacob uh, got John Eastman to admit in private he would lose nine to nothing at the Supreme Court. Right? Well, maybe Thomas. And then they spent an hour debating Clarence Thomas opinions. And finally, Eastman concluded, "Okay, okay, I got no votes on the Supreme Court for this. Not even Clarence Thomas." So it it. it i i I just the reason i wanted to go down that that rabbit trail is to say you you can can consider we should not be backed into the position of saying the electoral count act is as clear as speed limit 55 it sure as hell isn't right that sentence makes no sense to me but it is clear that the electoral count act does not vest the vice president with the discretion to pick the next president right because if it did we would have only ever had federalists as as uh, president and the, the vice president would be like oh, all right I, I hereby certify that one electoral vote shall go right of course that's how it would happen and the fact that it didn't happen that way is pretty strong evidence yeah, that ever. the vice president yeah <laughs> that the vice president does not have the power to just unilaterally throw out electoral votes believe me if they could have i would have liked al gore to have gotten up in 2000 and been like all right that's a vote for me that's another vote for me that's another vote for me Boy, these things are going great from my end, right? Like, I, it, of course not, right? The, so, I'm sorry i i didn't I didn't mean to uh, <clears throat> get off on uh, on quite the the tangent there, but but I but I think that it's important, right? Like, we can say the one six committee should recommend changes to the Electoral Count Act without conceding that any part of the argument of the insurrectionists is, is correct.
0: Right. That doesn't mean that Republicans won't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Just and, and you are on the end of that sentence, <laughs> yeah. No,
1: that's that's how you button that up, and and you already stole the second half of the punchline, which I'm okay oh, with. I'm uh, no, no, which is fine, which is, um, that, that that public mission is sometimes at odds with how good prosecutions are run, right? And uh, I think it's no surprise, right? I've seen a lot of agitation. We are not going to talk about Hunter Biden's laptop or whatever, but but the fact that bad faith prosecutors uh, who are looking at nonsense cases—we we have a lot of details about those cases. It, 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 I understand the frustration in the news up, but I I don't have any news coming out of the U.S. Attorney's Office for D.C. regarding you know potential. Uh, indictments of folks higher up than uh, the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys. And so it feels like, right, Hunter Biden is more of a priority at the Department of Justice than 1-6. Well, I I think it's very clear that that's not the case. Uh, But the reason that it seems that way is because you know, the, the, because of the cross purposes, because a well, good criminal investigation does not leak information prior to making indictment decisions.
0: The yeah. Hunter Biden laptop investigation, as appointed by Billy Barr, leaks yeah. like a sieve because its whole purpose is to be political in nature, exactly. uh, whereas <laughs> the real investigations do not. Um, and, and that... Uh, brings us to another unreal investigation which is the durham sussman uh investigation uh. but we do have to take a quick break so everybody stick around and i'll tell you about the latest filing and i have Ooh. questions for you legal ones my my All lawyer right. friend about immunization motions and and etc so we'll talk about that right after this stick around Hey everybody, it's AG, and today's Cleanup on Aisle 45 is brought to you by Feels CBD. If you have not tried it yet, I really recommend CBD. CBD isn't about what you feel, it's about what you don't feel. Stress, anxiety, pain. And Feels is a better way to feel better. CBD naturally helps reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. And with Feels, there's no hangover or possibility of addiction. It is premium CBD that will help keep your head clear and feel your best. Just place a few drops of Feels under your tongue, and you can feel the difference within minutes. It's hassle-free, delivered directly to your door, and to find the perfect dosage, they have a free CBD hotline at Feels to help guide your personal experience. The Feels Customer Service Team is dedicated to making sure you get the best use of your CBD. I have tried a million other supplements and I love Feels. Feels is the safe natural method to relieve pain, nervousness and sleeplessness without harmful side effects. It's helped me so much with insomnia and anxiety. Feels monthly membership makes your self-care easy. You'll save money on every order and you can pause or cancel any time. It's super simple. So just go to com slash cleanup, and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's feels, F-E-A-L-S dot com slash cleanup. You'll be glad you did. All right, welcome back. I am not going to bore you with the whole backstory and the details of what's going on with Durham and Sussman. Uh, we've been covering it. Everybody kind of knows it already. But the latest filing, Andrew, and this is my question for you, because <laughs> it appears as though... Durham has been sort of half cocked, I guess, threatening a tech executive one. His name is Joffe with with sort of a, a sort of Damocles indictment. Like we don't know if you are past the statute of limitations. We you might not be. the CIA meeting was in 2017. You could still be legally liable. There could be an indictment. We don't know. We aren't going to tell you what for, even if there was. Uh, so we want you to testify for the prosecution, and uh, Joffe's like, I'm testifying for the defense because <laughs> <laughs> Joffe's got exculpatory testimony for Sussman. Uh, but he is now effectively chilled on giving that testimony because the prosecutor Durham, the office of special or the, the special counsel, is kind of threatening this vague indictment. And so he would be then forced to plead the fifth in any testimony that he gave at trial, be it exculpatory or inculpatory, uh, for, for Sussman. And so that sort of is dampening his ability to, to testify. And so what happened here is that Sussman's lawyers filed a motion to either require the special counsel to immunize Jaffe so that he cannot be indicted, or to say what he's possibly being considered to be indicted for. Otherwise, kind of fuck off with it. You know, like that's sort of my general feeling that I get from this filing. We're not going to get a decision probably in a couple, three weeks on this motion to, to you know, force, for the courts to force Durham to immunize Jaffe. But what, what are your thoughts on this? Because that seems like, it's, that seems dirty.
1: Yeah. So many thoughts here. The, the, (laughs) this began, I don't mean uh, good. Dirty. (laughs) Now add one more to the thoughts, but this is what I'm going to have to (laughs) ask you after we get off the air. Um, but, uh, no last Monday, the government filed, uh, its motions in limine. Okay. And motions in limine are, um, pre-trial motions that you file about, certain kinds of evidence uh, that you either want uh, entered or excluded, right? And if you're thinking that seems a really, really weird place to then go off on a lengthy tangent about uh, exculpatory witnesses being uh, called by the other side, you'd be exactly right on that, right? (laughs) Like, so for example, you know, if you have an expert report right you might file one side would file a motion in limine to exclude the other side's expert and you would say we want to exclude this expert uh so because of you know the following deficiencies right like he you know never graduated from school and his license was expired and you know whatever in the middle of this fact section about the kinds of evidence uh that uh Special counsel John Durham seeks to uh, have admitted or excluded a trial, right? So the the motion is to, one, admit certain witnesses' contemporaneous notes of conversations with the FBI general counsel, okay? You can understand that. That's been a core issue uh, at issue here. Number two, admit emails referenced in the indictment and other similar emails. Um, The argument on that, right, an email is technically hearsay. Um, They are also typically... You know, reliable, contemporaneous, routinely produced business records. So I can understand that. Number three, admit certain acts and statements, including the defendant's February 2017 meeting with a government agency, his 2017 December congressional testimony and his former employer's October 2018 statements to the media as direct evidence or alternatively pursuant to Rule 404B, exclude evidence and preclude argument concerning allegations of political bias on the part of the special counsel. And five, admit an October tweet against the Clinton campaign. Okay, All right. That's what they want to do. But again, illustrating that this is a political prosecution. This is not a serious case that we have covered that at great length. And and you're right in saying, you know, go back and listen to the archives if you want to know why. Um, This is designed to generate headlines, designed to be leaked. Uh, designed to stir up outrage in the right wing sphere, and so uh, and the judge is,
0: warned Durham about it too. Yeah, uh, in that specific motion to consider uh, what was it conflicts of interest, and then he went off on you know for four pages on <laughs> a bunch of nonsense, and and the, the Sussman's lawyers asked him to strike that, and the judge said, "We're not going to strike it, but fucking watch your step, Durham."
1: Right, and 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 we broke all that down, right? How how mm-hmm. motions to strike are are incredibly rare, so. Again, in the middle of the facts section, you tell me what this has to do with any of the relief that I just described. OK, the indictment also alleges that beginning in approximately July 2016, tech executive one, as you point out, that's Jaffe, had worked with the defendant, a U.S. investigative firm retained by law firm one on behalf of the Clinton campaign numerous cyber researchers and employees at multiple internet companies to assemble the purported data and white papers in connection with those efforts. Tech executive one exploited his access to non-public or proprietary internet data, enlisted the assistance of researchers at a U.S.-based university who were receiving and analyzing large amounts of internet data in connection with a pending federal government cybersecurity research contract. Tech Executive One tasked those researchers to mine internet data to establish, quote, an inference, end quote, narrative, end quote, tying then-candidate Trump to Russia. In doing so, Tech Executive One indicated that he was seeking to please certain VIPs Including individuals at law firm one, uh, that's Perkins Coie, and the uh, Clinton campaign. Um, as you point out, that this is this is done solely uh, to to try and poison the waters uh, against Jaffe as a as a defense witness. And typically in cases like this, when you have uh, a, a witness, the the, the reason uh, for Jaffe's motion is typically a. A witness will either have information relevant to one side or or not. Right. So it's a question of, am I going to be a witness for the prosecution or am I going to plead the fifth and stay home? Right. And so the the government will then decide on the basis of how much it wants your testimony, uh, whether and to what extent to immunize that witness in order to compel that testimony, because you can only assert the fifth if uh, you can assert that there is testimony uh, which would tend to incriminate yourself once you've been immunized. Right. There's no testimony. If, if you've been given blanket immunity, there's no testimony you could give which which could incriminate you. And therefore, you can't assert the fifth. But but here um, that they, they have sort of very craftily moved uh, to, to try and uh, force Jaffe into a position to say, Uh, All right. Well, you know, I'm I'm not going to show up and be a witness at all, uh, which I think would be their goal. Right. Would be to say, look, you know, the the amount of positive information that they would get out of him uh, as a prosecuting witness would be virtually nil. But if they can convince him to stay home, that's a victory. Uh, But that's also, as you were looking at it, feels pretty oppressive in terms of taking somebody who uh, possesses exculpatory evidence and wants to testify for the defense and uh, sort of outing vague threats. Well, and and some of that was not so vague, right? Uh, uh, Outlining... Potential criminal conduct, uh, as you pointed out, as a sort of Damocles over that potential testimony. So I have never seen this before, right? They, they, a motion that you know, (laughs) the kind of uh, you know, immunize me or get off the pot. Um, But it, it, it illustrates, I think, the difficulty of trying to litigate in good faith. Uh, against somebody who's who's not interested it's very plain I would love to be able to sit down you know with some truth serum and and talk to uh to Sussman because it just it it, it it's almost impossible to believe sorry I said so I meant Durham um it, it, it it's almost impossible to believe that Durham thinks that he is running this the way you run a normal case because he, he just isn't
0: it, it feels like a Brady violation, honestly. um it can't be proven as such. I don't think because you're he's just saying, hey there might be crimes against you. there might not be. We don't know when yeah. when, when you know when it, has it been five years since you talked to the CIA? We know it's been five years since you talked to the FBI, but that CIA meeting was in 2017 and uh you know September 2017. so. Mm, could go either way, and and to do that, to keep a witness out who might be providing exculpatory information seems like a violation of a cr- of a criminal defendant's rights to get exculpatory testimony. Uh, but
1: so you it's know, not, it, it's, it's not. not
0: quite it's not
1: quite Brady and Giglio because the the information has not been suppressed, right? And there's no effort to do that. What what there is an effort to do is to tarnish. And 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 muddy the waters and uh, and undermine the potential value of that information. Um, And that to me, that is that is an interesting like if I was going to make an analogy, right, it might be like if you were to uncover uh, that there is exculpatory evidence um, and then, you know, you order the, uh, you know, the the local police, the investigating detectives, the FBI, whoever's in, in whoever's custody, the evidence is if 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 a prosecutor were like, well, you know, uh, if you want to screw up the chain of custody of that, of that evidence while you're delivering it to the defense, I'd be real cool with that. Um, that that feels like a Brady violation. Right. And so that to me, that's that's the closest analogy right like it isn't as though they're not turning over the information which is what the constitution requires that's brady v maryland the, the question is they're undermining the value of that testimony what while doing so and that it feels equally wrong but but um you know exists in kind of a uh, an adjacent square so um you know we'll, i feel like there we'll should see.
0: be a rule that if if a witness has exculpatory information that the prosecuting attorneys either have to indict or immunize or provide the information of potential investigations criminally or otherwise into that person so that they can know whether or not they would need to assert their Fifth Amendment or whether or not they'd be able to provide testimony. I feel like you can't just be vague about maybe potential indictments that could happen later. I don't know. It just seems wrong yeah
1: or or stipulate that they can't contest the evidence if they decide not to indict, right? because the the problem with having a a per se rule that says if you have exculpatory evidence, the government uh, either has to indict uh, or immunize is, you know you could see how that could no, potentially or th- the
0: third option or explain the potential yeah. crimes that you're looking at and what they're looking yeah. at so then yeah. you could say oh he's talking about the 2017 cia meeting i don't give a fuck about that i didn't break any rules let's go to testimony you know yeah to
1: really no, where you that's... could
0: make an informed decision you know
1: that's right and The the way in which the Constitution, the implementing underlying statutes like the Speedy Trial Act, for example, um, tend to focus on specificity, right, in letting a potential criminal defendant know exactly what what he faces in terms of uh, potential charges. So uh, so I so I think that that third option, right. Is, is a good way to sort of close the loop hmm. and run the full gamut of, yeah, indict, immunize, or at minimum, explain what I'm on the hook for here.
0: right? Yeah, or potentially could be on the hook for. Yep. Uh, am I currently under investigation? Am I the target of an investigation? Yep. Uh, you know, something, something like that. Uh, all right. So those are uh, kind of the, the legal stories uh, that are out right there, uh, out right now. And then we've got sort of a, a kind of comings and goings. Um, <laughs> what what do we have on, on the docket today?
1: So folks enjoyed. We got a lot of positive feedback about uh, the... By 25 minute breakdown regarding legalbrains.com <laughs> uh, from last week. So I think I'm going to stick with that theme in terms of uh, wishing a, a fond farewell to Jonathan Mosley, uh, who has been disbarred from uh, the uh, practice of law in the Commonwealth of Virginia. If the name is familiar, Jonathan Mosley represents Kelly Meggs. And Kelly Meggs is one of the oath keepers uh, that is. Uh, charged with seditious conspiracy um and in fact uh Kelly Meggs is gator 1 on the uh strike force team um his his lawyer has now been disbarred uh, and and i need to say we do not exactly know why <laughs> Jonathan Mosley was disbarred i i can access the order right which says uh that he has been found Uh, in violation of uh, and and this is a long list Um, (laughs) the following rules disciplinary rule violations have been proved by clear and convincing evidence right so that is more than just uh the the civil preponderance of the evidence slightly less than beyond a reasonable doubt violations of rule 115 a1 rule 115 b3 rule 115 b5 rule 115 d 8.1 c 8.1 d 8.4 8.4 is the general catch-all rule by the way 8.4 b 3.1 3.3 a1 3.4 d 3.4 j 5.5 c and 8.2 um it without without more, right? This is just literally a form finding. Uh, this what is taken, didn't he do? You know? Yeah, right. This was taken out of the appendix and, you know, we get scratch throughs with his name written in pen. Um, so uh, it, we don't have the underlying facts, but but here's what we do know. Um, this is not the first time that Jonathan Mosley has been disciplined. This is not the first time that folks have raised complaints about him in 2010. um, He represented someone named Tracy Ammons in a breach of contract action against the Christian Coalition of America. Boy, it kind of feels like there are no winners in that case. Um, And uh, in that case, um, Ammon gave Mosley a copy of the contract and uh, and then they looked at it and they argued uh, that the contract contained an arbitration clause. And the argument that Mosley made in court uh, was, your honor, we don't dispute the existence of a contract, but my client doesn't have a copy and she doesn't remember there being an arbitration clause in the copy that she signed. OK, um, the, the, the the court then uh, held an evidentiary hearing uh, to determine the contents of the contract, right, because, you know, not introduced in evidence. On cross examination, uh, Tracy Ammons admitted that he had given a copy of that employment contract to his lawyer and that the contract did contain an arbitration clause. The contract was produced and then Mosley made a motion for non suit, which was granted. Um, so it, in other words, uh, directly conspired uh, to commit a fraud on the court, uh, went through the rigmarole of contesting uh, whether That contract existed and uh, knew I had a copy all along that was given by his client. Don't do that sort of thing. So, you know, that was 2010 uh, and his license was suspended for six months. So, you know, could he have done other stuff beyond representing one six defendants? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, um, we also know that John Mosley is because he represents criminal insurrectionists a crazy person who makes absolutely crazy arguments in court. And we now have, this is astonishing to me, um, nine days after being disbarred, Mosley made a motion to to dismiss counts one to four, which includes the seditious conspiracy charge against his client, Kelly Meggs. I don't think he was allowed to do this. <laughs>
0: yeah, that was my question. I tweeted this out. Uh, I saw the filing and I said, "Why is a disbarred guy submitting filings?" Now somebody said, "Well, this is D.C. and he's Virginia. He was disbarred in Virginia, but I don't think you're allowed because you would need a sponsor in D.C. And if you're disbarred, you can't. Your sponsorship is null and void. I would imagine in any other." jurisdiction that is a
1: hundred percent correct right so it Woo-hoo! would be it would be different. give me my
0: honorary bar dude. <laughs> you, yeah you've been you have been <laughs> racking
1: these up look it would be different if mosley were admitted in dc and in virginia okay because then he's been disbarred to practice law In the in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Right. Uh, But he's still licensed for now uh, in D.C. And so in that interregnum, you could imagine him filing in his D.C. cases uh, because he is still technically a D.C. lawyer. He is admitted pro hoc vice in this case. Right. That is specially admitted under the sponsorship of a Virginia lawyer uh, under the sponsorship of a D.C. lawyer. Right. And. That That is based on him being a lawyer in good standing and member of the Bar of Virginia. I know. I get pro-hocked into court all the time, right? And you have to sign a little affidavit that says, I am a member of good standing of the bars of, and I'm a member of the bars of Maryland and the District of Columbia. So when I litigate in Virginia or anywhere else, right, I have to move to be admitted pro hoc vice. I fill out that little affidavit. I hire local counsel. They move. The court grants the the motion because the court always grants the motion right there's a heavy presumption in allowing litigants to be represented by the lawyer of their choosing
0: um and and so what happens if you file and you're disbarred and you're you you know your pro hoc VICE is no bueno because you have to be a lawyer in good standing at another bar i mean what are you going to get disbarred again like what happens <laughs> but, uh, I, the,
1: there may be a practical you know there there's nothing that the court can do, contempt? but but yeah, you, you you could enter a, a contempt order, right? That the court you could enter sanctions, void, um, all of that is is possible. And this is before our friend Judge Meta uh, in uh, the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia. Um, I I have some sympathy to the idea that that uh, Mosley's clients are so odious that he can't find anybody else to represent them. That's what that's what Mosley said. This is, you know, you're in trouble when this is your defense uh, to The Washington Post. But but Mosley said uh, because there was a, a status conference uh, yesterday uh, and Mosley said he did not know the purpose of the hearing, but it might be about the disbarment order. <laughs> he said his client, Kelly Meggs, is aware that he's been disbarred, quote, I've been trying for months to get additional attorneys and they're not out there. So, obviously, it'd be good for Kelly Meggs to get another attorney, but that doesn't mean they just magically appear, mostly said. Um,
0: well, and meta has been warning about this for a while. Well, Meta's uh, like, you should probably have a different counsel uh, uh, and, uh, or a second lawyer or
1: something. Mm. And, and we're going to get to why in a second, but uh, uh, the other thing that this pushes against is... Um, the strategy of these Oathkeeper defendants, right? This is all the Stuart Rhodes, right? Um, These are the indictments that we talked about. Oathkeeper leader, Stuart Rhodes. uh, Kelly Meggs was the Florida leader of the Oathkeepers. Um, This is, uh, there is a standing order that trial is set to commence on July 11th, right? And, The strategy of the Rhodes defendants has been to file anything and everything under the sun, including explicit motions to extend time to stay. And all of those have been denied. Right. Judge Mehta wants this to go to trial and rightfully so. Right. July 11th is going to be 18 months out. It's about damn time, you know, that uh, uh, that we had a an an official adjudication of the crimes that you committed. Um, So appearing without a right? <laughs> appearing without a lawyer can certainly throw a monkey wrench into that so nobody wants you know to uh or or i i should say this slowing down megs's trial because his lawyer has been disbarred is in fact exactly what everybody on that side of the aisle wants right and what the government and judge meta do, do not want um uh, uh, on the other hand I'm going to read this, and I know you've seen this, but but in response to an indictment for seditious conspiracy, we have this argument. The central claim of count one, that's the seditious conspiracy count, fails because nothing alleged involves or relates to opposing the lawful transfer of presidential power. That's in bold underline. And you would think... That's kind of a weird claim to make against the people who were prepared to run guns inside the Capitol. Are, you know, breach the Capitol, had their secret G.I. Joe strike force teams. Right? Did, really? Nothing relates to opposing the lawful transfer of presidential power? And then we we get this argument, which is just, <laughs> uh, it, it is so And you're bizarre. talking about
0: the filing that he just recently made. Yeah. Right? This is yeah. a
1: motion to dismiss the seditious conspiracy count made on- April 10th, nine days after being disbarred, that the the lawyer argues, the Constitution makes it clear that it is a constitutional impossibility to oppose the transfer of presidential power. Not only could such a goal not be accomplished, but beyond that, it is an irrational concept lacking in any basis in fact, law or common sense. This is not a case in which conspirators might attempt to do something they are unable to successfully achieve. By by the way, it, it was. It is an irrational concept like dividing by zero. There can be no such thing in law or fact. Now, if you're thinking my head hurts, (laughs) that that would be correct. Here's the argument. The argument is because the Constitution says the president's term shall end at noon on January 20th every four years. That means That person is no longer the president once that comes to be. So, quote, this constitutional requirement is self-executing. A president at 1159 p.m. ceases to be president at 1201, right, on the 4th, January 20th, since his or her term began. Quote, there is nothing in heaven or earth that can stop the transfer of presidential power. Nothing in the universe that can add one minute to a president's term of office. Not even God making the sun stand still, <laughs> keep a president in office one second longer because, he, uh, because he wrote a because on that statement, because even if the earth stopped rotating, it would still be 1201 p.m. one minute afternoon. I, 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 I I don't, I don't know where to begin <laughs> with this. Right? It,
0: it, <laughs> oh wow! Talk about a last-ditch effort by a disbarred a, a, lawyer. It it. A. Nothing in the con- I, mean, I
1: don't want to say nothing.
0: I would like to argue that if the Earth stopped rotating, it would never become twelve. Of o'clock.
1: course, it wouldn't. That's the de- the definition <laughs> of time is the Earth rotating around the sun, right? Oh.
0: All I'm right. surprised he didn't do some sort of a like, even if they found the guardian of tomorrow <laughs> and jumped through the portal back to Joan Collins time oh in the God. 30s, oh, what a, he would still nothing in. Okay. Okay.
1: <laughs> what a fantastic uh, Star
0: Trek episode that was. Uh, but. Oh, my favorite, by the uh, way. My favorite. Uh, yeah, of all City
1: time. on the Edge Forever. Way, 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 way up there. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. Let's try and...
0: I am the guardian of tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I would say if I were the, if I were responding to this motion. Uh, <clears throat> I am the guardian of tomorrow. And if we did stop the Earth's rotation, it would not become noon. Therefore, we're still going to go forward with the seditious conspiracy it, <laughs> charges. It, it...
1: It goes on, okay? It says... It says... No, 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 no. The, the question of how Congress... What we are commanded to believe and recite was a purely ceremonial meeting and photo op of Congress on January 6, 2021. Sidebar: No, no, it wasn't. Right? That was not a photo op. That's why it was super duper important that it not be interrupted and that it continue. Yeah, that's why they remet and like fricking 97-year-old Mitch McConnell stayed up to three in the morning. Right? Like that because it was super duper important that we transfer power. Right? Anyway. Ought to apply the laws to the facts amidst unprecedented massive alterations. Those are political opinions. Someone would become president at 12.01 p.m. on January 20th, 2021. The question is whom? Yeah. And and when you take the person who is lawfully entitled to become president and work to make that person not become president, that's what we call seditious conspiracy. I. It it, it 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 continues. <laughs> I, I am not kidding. This section is like seven pages long and it, it has bold underline italics in place of, you know, warrants for the argument. It contains the phrase set aside as its own paragraph, but this is earth shattering. <laughs> This necessarily makes everything in this case, the political beliefs and political activism of these defendants and hundreds of others concerning to whom the laws and facts properly and correctly assigned the transfer of presidential power. It is immaterial whether the court, the attorney's office, the Congress, the media or John Q. Public agrees or disagrees. Disagreements are a fundamental feature of politics. It is immaterial who is correct. What is immaterial is that these and other defendants are charged with holding political views different from the U.S. Attorney's Office political beliefs. Again, to be to be clear um, that this is not about that. This is this is about holding actions based on political views that differ from what the law permits. That's what we call seditious conspiracy.
0: I feel like if I went in and stole like $1,000 out of a cash register or $50,000 from a bank that maybe Mosley could get me off on saying, you know, what is money? <laughs> really, when you think about it, I mean, come on. It's a piece of paper that represents something that used to be a gold standard, but there's not enough gold to back up the money. And so money isn't, it's a construct. It's a political construct, Uh Devised by the Fed, and and we, you know, so she didn't steal anything. Uh, at the, you uh, would you would absolutely
1: get right Ponzi scheme. We would get your birth certificate being linked to the order of the Illuminati's rule in 1936, and uh, you know that it's it shows that you're being posted as collateral for the uh, shadowy international cabal that's
0: loaned out. And and I'm and it's not even really me. It's the government entity. Right. Well, you are uh, purporting yeah, yeah. to be you me. capital letters that's right my flesh and blood self was at home you know only your straw man was indicted it it, when that thousand dollars of of of, you know liberal money was stolen it it is
1: this is this is bonkers for crazy people right like if you were to pull one six insurrectionists and say Do do you think that all you were doing right in the middle of it? Right. And ask, do you think that all you were doing is expressing a political opinion? He's got this in again, bold, underline italics, I guess, because, you know, star wipes weren't available and petitioning the government for redress of grievances. They would say, no, man, like we're here to hang Mike Pence. We're here to stop the count. Stop the! St- it's in the name of the thing that's our organization. We're here to stop a thing, right? That you you've just argued that everything that that the insurrectionists s- said they were trying to do is not really what they were trying to do, and I don't think your clients agree with you on this, John. Well, they're not your clients anymore because you've been disbarred.
0: <laughs> awesome! Wow, that was a. Uh... That's the coolest thing I've heard in a while. That's it, the, I the, don't have any
1: hamburger poems, but you know,
0: I mean, I you know, <laughs> I've read some Sidney Powell filings, but that whew, I it that one, I, it is that one takes just
1: that it again I I struggle for words because that there's sort of a like and and obviously like I you know it's a metaphysical impossibility to interfere with the swearing into the next person good good to know on that i i think i think that assertion is going to come back to bite you in the ass if we, we ever have, have to worry another about, pre- you know republican president uh but yeah. hopefully that will never happen so you know well
0: yeah and and putin is obviously still not in power yeah, right um because uh, of that whole metaphysical time stoppage thing there you go uh, all right, we've got a couple minutes left, and we have another comings and goings. We have a new ATF uh, oh. nominee and uh, something going on with some ghost gun stuff. Yeah, uh,
1: just uh, just this week, President Biden announced that uh, his nominee to lead the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives will be former U.S. Attorney Steve Dettelbach, and Dettelbach's announcement is uh, coinciding with the announcement on Monday, uh, finalizing a federal rule, trying to regulate uh, what are being described as ghost guns. Um, I, I I, and so the idea ghost guns are guns uh, either that are resold uh, or are sold in kit form uh, that do not have serial numbers. Right. And therefore are incredibly difficult to track uh, and trace in 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 federal databases. Um, last year, uh, this is j- just a stunning number, right? Um, the ATF estimates that, uh, 20,000 suspected ghost guns were recovered in law enforcement during criminal investigations. That is a tenfold increase in guns without serial numbers compared. <coughs> and those to are just ones that are recovered um, in crimes. Uh, yeah, it it, it is. Th- this is just a huge epidemic. And I don't care where you are, uh, in terms of gun ownership or no gun ownership or whatever. Um, the, the idea that you would want to, uh, intervene and, uh, and, and oppose a rule that is only aimed at tracking guns that are recovered in criminal investigation, uh, is just, uh, Astonishing to me, but of course that's where our modern Republican Party is. Um it it uh it, this is this is an issue that is so unbelievably broken uh that you know the the other crucial piece of data, right? So uh <laughs> will become the first permanent director of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives since 2015 right in other words this position has been left to deputies has been left unfilled uh and and in fact um since the agency was amended from uh alcohol tobacco and firearms to add explosives in 2006 there has only been one permanent director of atf and that's because uh republicans are united that Anything that is gun policy uh, becomes uh, anathema and uh, Democrats have sort of been, uh, you know, unable to muster kind of even the feeblest of efforts, uh, despite, you know, a a, a, a rising tide of uh, mass school shootings. And um, it just uh, and I I don't want to connect school shootings two ghost guns right that's not that those are two separate issues but they are combined by being kind of the true third rail of of modern uh, american politics which is trying to do something sensible on gun policy um i i don't see how you could you know this is about the bare minimum right <laughs> let's let's make sure that Guns, when they are recovered in the commission of a crime, have a serial number attached to them so that we can trace who bought them and gave them to whom seems like perfectly consistent with a free society. Right. Like Amazon can figure out, you know, the last eight people that have bought underwear. We ought to be able to figure out, you know, exactly uh, who owned what guns and how they got used in crimes. But uh, mm. but there we go.
0: Well, we uh, we welcome I I, I I assume he'll be confirmed. Um, even though we haven't had an ATF director since 2015, um, yeah. which is weird, um, but you know, I, I I like this guy so well.
1: And think about what happened in 2015. Yeah, right uh-huh. no, that was that was the last half of Obama's second term in which the Republicans controlled the Senate and there was just no way to get uh, anybody confirmed uh, to a Senate cabinet level position. And then uh, the Trump administration had no desire to put somebody in charge of preventing illegal use of firearms and explosives. Um, Again, you know, in any sane society, that would be disqualifying you know welcome to the united
0: states but i agree with you i yeah. like this guy yeah, all right um they i wanted to hear what he had to say but they cut him off they're like eh, it's nobody big uh let's just go on to <laughs> I, know. I was like come on oh, hear this guy um especially since it's been so long since we've had one uh so i look forward to that confirmation and uh that is our show and i want to thank everybody uh, especially um, people who are, might be listening for the first time thank you for joining us it's been it's it's Absolute. been 65 episodes but it's never too late to clean up on aisle 45 um, so if you know anybody who might be interested in this kind of news definitely send them our way uh I, that's all I have today Andrew do you have anything else that you want to add before we get out of here nope All right. Well, everybody, uh, we will see you on our respective opening arguments, Daily Beans type shows, and then we'll be back next week with another episode of Clean Up on Aisle 45.